0: Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. You can go to the website BibleProphecyTalk.com for more information. Today, I wanted to go over a number of things from my notes, mostly geopolitical types of things. For example, I want to mention the World Economic Forum, some developments that have been going on there and thoughts about it, as well as how it may or may not apply to the 10 kings that we see introduced in the book of Daniel. Also, I wanted to mention some thoughts about what it might look like for the persecuted church in the end times to kind of give you a picture uh, from, it's an idea I got of all places from the World Economic Forum. Uh, also, I uh, wanted to hit on the idea of frustrations at the injustices that we see. It's sort of a, a losing week, you might say, for those that are hoping for uh, liberty and justice to prevail. I don't think that is uh, in the cards. And how should we look at that in light of our uh, Christian walk? I guess I'll start with the clarifications from the last episode and talk about Elon Musk's Twitter takeover. I was saying that I didn't see any potential for that deal going through. It seemed like something that the New World Order types just could never allow to happen. Specifically, not just him buying it, but making the algorithm, as he said he would, uh, open source and public. So everybody could see what the algorithm was. I made the point in the podcast that if the algorithm was meritorious, that is good things rose to the top and everybody knew what it was and could confirm that it was working the way that it said it would, then it would have so much social proof when non-narrative things rose to the top, which is a point that Elon Musk himself had made. And that is a a deal breaker for the new world order because every bit of their system relies on narrative so it would just it all narratives would not work because so many people are against it and now everybody would know that everybody's against it it just can't happen so i said things like uh well you know you would see more shorts of tesla if this if they're really serious about it and indeed i think uh, I saw a, a news article yesterday that Bill Gates had increased his short position on Tesla, another half billion dollars or something. And uh, I'm sure that's just the least of it. I, and that's no matter how smart you are or whatever, I think that that the amount of money that pe- can be thrown at this that nobody even cares about because they the people I think that are most at risk here have literally unlimited money. So I just can't see a path forward for the Twitter deal going through. And that doesn't even take into account the fact that if... Somebody could look at the books and what has been going on with the algorithm and Twitter this whole time. They would easily probably see, this is a guess, that uh, major fraud has been uh, occurring and lots of people would go to jail. And, you know, that aspect of it is another reason why I don't think it can be allowed to happen. But it's secondary to the algorithm thing. But my main point I wanted to make is about Elon Musk's motivations, because I sort of delved a little bit into, you know, was he, wasn't he a part of the New World Order? Is he breaking free from it? And of course, I don't know anything about it. I can make some speculations or or whatever, but I would say that there is, I just wanted to put forward another possible motivation for somebody like him, who I believe, I believe from from seeing interviews with him, I think that he actually does to some degree by his own Uh, uh, press or or read and drink his own Kool-Aid, for instance. I do think that he's uh, got extremely high IQ. And I believe that he knows that he does. And I believe that a lot of his success is due to that, at least a a good deal of it. But one of the things that caught my attention was his response to something in his previous interview about, you know, what are you doing for this thing or that thing in humanity? And it seemed to hit a, a nerve with him because, He mentioned all the different projects that he does and companies that he started and how he believes that it's going to save humanity. Like he actually believes getting humanity to Mars is is something that in his paradigm, believes it would do it. And all the different things about, you know, Tesla and the driving cars and the brain chips and all of it. He genuinely had this fire about like how he thought he was doing stuff for humanity. You know, I'm doing stuff for humanity. And of course, he's got this press that you know, save us, Elon Musk, and he's uh, the real Tony Stark and all this stuff. And you can't help on a pride level by by believing that. I mean, on paper, you're the richest man in the world. You've got a lot going for you, you know. So, so my point is that a, that that mindset, actually doing that kind of stuff, and seeing this loophole in Twitter, and and the reason I was excited about it is that here is an actual way to, I mean, barring divine intervention. Barring something coming from out of left field that we could never uh, expect, some kind of expose of, you know, I don't know what. But barring any of that stuff, this is our best shot, I think, uh, uh, the, the Elon Musk Twitter thing. And I'm not a very uh, optimistic person about the nature of the world and and where it's going in a secular si- situation. So but uh, my point is that he uh, risking your life is what he must know that he's doing in this that that is the links that they'll go to stop this he said as much in a recent twitter post you know if i die i mean this is why basically and one would at least flirt with risking your life as a secular individual if you had this grandiose view of your position in the in the place of humanity which which he has probably got in his head to some degree and that kind of grandiose idea can be a motivation that we can use you know because we need somebody to risk their life basically to to do this. Now, Christians, they're always there, basically, but they're not in a position to help, you know? Uh, so I just wanted to mainly put that out there with Elon Musk, that whether whether or not he was in it and was not, is breaking free from it or whatever, Whether or not, I don't think he's become a Christian, but I do think you don't need him to be, to actually make some meaningful change in this particular Twitter concept, as long as he is drinking his own Kool-Aid and believes his own press and actually believes that he has the potential to literally save humanity because that's what it's going to take. If he really does know, and I think that he does know the nature of that algorithm change and what it would really do. He has said as much in a previous uh, uh, interview, which I mentioned in the last podcast, that he, he knew what it would do if you made it public and how that would literally, anyway, that's my main point, is that there is a potential other motivation for Elon Musk that you have to take into account when dealing with this uh, 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 subject. The other uh, a clarification I wanted to make was with regard to the Russia situation and how the West and NATO is, and the U.S. are provoking Russia. And it seems to me, and it seems to a lot of pundits that are looking at this from a geopolitical perspective, what is the possible reason for poking the bear uh, this much with that much, you know... Them in a corner as an existential threat, the only outcome is nuclear war. I mean, in in a logical situation, of course you have to take into account that Putin probably is. You know, he is a student. I mean, he was a cab driver in Russia when Klaus Schwab found him. So he's a part of it, but maybe he broke free from it. But either way, this whole system seems to be nonsensical. So what is the reason for doing that? I made the point that. You know, nuclear war in and of itself is something that serves this global agenda in a way that nothing else can. And part of the reason is that it's one of the only subjects that the world can clamor and demand for a world government. We must have a world government now that nuclear bombs have gone off. The the more severe, the, 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 the more people that died, the more severe the rhetoric. And of course, the only solution to that is well, we all need to be on one team. You know, that way we can destroy them all or keep them all. Who's going to go to war with each other if we're all one big happy family? And I I was a little too, I feel like, uh, sure of myself in that. And 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 after watching some of these recent uh, Davos meetings in the last week, another possibility uh, popped up, and that is the idea that. So in these Davos meetings it was very clear that they had gone very against Russia in a public way you know that is to say like they have a little Russia room at the Davos uh, Switzerland thing and then they renamed it the Russia war crimes room and just a childish thing i think uh, James Corbett brought that childishness up but also the the rhetoric was just in it, you know so anti Russia in a way that made it clear that there was no future path for for him that it's either Russia gone or nothing. I suppose you could make the case that if they had some kind of regime change, maybe they would change their tune and Russia's fine again. But the way that they were talking made it clear that it it, it made it clear that Russia has no options and everything they're doing seems to illogically be making Russia have to choose China. That seems to be the thing that's happening. And that is another possible reason. So that goes to the idea that you know in 1984 there we were at war with oceania no i think we we're at war with eurasia and let me just read something i was trying to find a good synopsis of this online this isn't the best one, but i was trying to find out the concept of war in 1984 what was the purpose of war because there's a big question about in the book 1984 was there really even a war or was that just sort of propaganda that was used to control the people i'm gonna read a little excerpt from this uh page here uh the war in 1980 the, uh, there's a perpetual war between oceania eurasia and east asia the super states that emerged from the global atomic war also uh uh, also, know what is the purpose of modern warfare in 1984? In accordance with the principles of doublethink, the aim of modern warfare in 1984 is to use up what is produced by society and to prevent an elevation in the standard of living. So, part one of the purpose of war is to basically keep the people poor. Uh, number two, what is the purpose of Ward 1984 is to scare the people, scare them into believing that there is a war going on and that Big Brother is protecting them, trying to make it seem that without Big Brother, who knows what would happen. So the idea is, again, patriotism in this case for your enemy. So think of it like Stockholm Syndrome, trying to get people to love you because they're protecting you from the big bad guys. But here's one that's, I, I think, the most uh, uh, important. Most commonly, war is armed conflict between the purpose of war is to achieve political aims. And I guess in 1984, for example, conquest, intervention against those revolutions and coups or potential coup, coups and all this stuff um, to reclaim lost territory, etc. So the idea is that war is needed in order to keep your power. Because you can do things in war that you can't do without war. That's why the war in 1984 was perpetual, because they always had to crack down on dissidents. Anybody that was against Big Brother could be cracked down upon as being an agent of Eurasia or what have you, you know? So it's this perfect tool. You never want war to end because you have this blank check to put the boot on the face of your enemies forever. It's a way of keeping power. So war, was the war real in 1984? it didn't have to be, it didn't have to be because all the things that it, it, it achieved, uh, were, were propaganda based mostly. Um, I will say that in this situation, what I'm mostly referring to is the China thing that it seems that if this is a big, if, if we are in fact pushing Russia intentionally into the arms of China, there is no meeting China, um, at all. There's no... China's people have been so propagandized that they could never just go, be in the same system as um, as the West. I mean, that was, I think, the concept of the Trilateral Commission and those kind of um, um, what's the think tanks about world government, is that you can't rule certain groups in the world in the same way. But for example, China, I don't, and Russia, for example, are probably so propagandized against the West that they are always going to be our perpetual enemies. And by blocking them together in this sort of super state, which they're a marriage of convenience like no other, they're they're natural uh, allies in terms of geography. Uh, and of course, uh, Russia has all the energy, China has no energy, and China has the manufacturing and stuff. So it, it's very it's very. Uh, And and their antagonism towards the West makes it easy economic partners. And it's a no brainer if they want to keep their civilizations going without the West, because China, as it currently stands, really can't survive if the West, if if China goes and takes Taiwan, then immediately we stop getting stuff from China. So in order to make their people not starve to death and to have an economy, they're going to have to expand that with people that like your, your Russias and Iran's and people that are not in the sort of Western system. And let's just say, for example, take the Corbett thing that I mentioned a few podcasts ago that Russia and China both are very on board with the global system, making you in the police of the world and cracking down on dissidents and the rest of it. Um, all that stuff can exist in this 1984 system where it's sort of there, but also fake. Remember, Satan is behind this whole thing. So he can, you know, he, he's I don't know, it's all the same team. If you want to look at it like that, the whole the whole governmental system basically is singing from the same Song sheet, if uh, they are in fact influenced to one degree or another by uh, Satan, which I think at this point they are almost overtly uh, controlled by that. But anyway, that's the main uh, corrections, and that took a little longer than I thought. All right, so I wanted to talk briefly about the recent meetings in Davos with the World Economic Forum, uh, which was formerly known as the Bilderberg Group back when it was a conspiracy theory that nobody knew about. And that's part of what I want to talk about is that it was in a way that has never happened, I think, before with these uh, global uh, people. It was, a, it was a declaration of their existence. It was a coming out party. It was an admission of all the conspiracy theories and just saying that it's good. And, um, you know, on one sense, everybody's already on board with this. The coup has already happened, guys. I mean, every every single leader of every single country on this planet is co-opted, bought in somehow or another going to do whatever these people say. And I don't know what kind of strings they pull or dirt they have on people, but it is clear to me, and I think it should be clear to everybody at this point that after COVID that, uh, that they're all just happy as clams and and there's no real resistance in terms of global leadership. So the coup has happened with a very few exceptions. I mean, you could think of maybe Brazil or something like that, but for the most part, it's already happened. Um, and they're declaring it and making a public, I mean, there were so many meetings at Davos and most of them weren't public, but there were a lot that were pushed out into the public that were basically saying, yes, we control the future. We're the ones that do it, you know, and I think of it a little bit like something that is said because it needs to be put out there because we're going to call on them as a global leadership uh, thing in in the wake of some big, bad event, some false flag, major, huge thing. It can be nuclear war. It can be any number of things, weird issues that happen that we're going to call on them for help because, and we couldn't have done that if they hadn't gone public first. So they have to go public first. It's kind of like, uh, the democratic primaries, if you remember that with, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Tulsi Gabbard and, and Cory Booker and all those stuff. If you remember, they, they were all on the stage at one point and I, and I can't remember what it was, but it was like, they were saying the most radical things that up to that point, none of us had ever heard. And we were totally blown away by like, how can all 10 of these people being, be agreeing to some of the most radical things that anybody's ever heard. It was, it was too early for even that time because it was before, all this stuff. Right. So, but it was only a year later that all that stuff was basically real. In other words, it had already happened. And now the stuff that they said that was seemed so radical is basically commonplace. We all know that you print up trillions and trillions of dollars for no reason. Remember when we thought Elizabeth Warren's plan for how much money she wanted to print was crazy. Now it's like, Oh, that's uh, modest, you know? Um, and it's kind of like that. I think with the world economic forum. Um, and I want to talk briefly about what does it mean? Let's, let's just look at this if they do take over the world. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that it would happen probably a lot easier than I previously thought. And the reason is if you just play it forward, who's going to resist? As I said, every single leader of every country is already on board. So let's just say the big thing happens. Half the population is terrified of the new thing. And even the people that may have been against it in better times would never be against it in this because now stuff is real. They've got to eat. Their family is whatever. They need stuff to happen now or need safety or whatever. So there, even people that would be against it are now clamoring for it. And every single leader of every single country is already in the bag. So they're all at the same, with, at the same time like a bunch of robots saying, oh, I think we should look to Klaus Schwab who has come up with this plan or whatever. Let's just say this is hypothetical, but something like that. I don't even know if Klaus Schwab will have anything to do with this stuff or, or if it's just sort of like a, a, a placeholder for a similar situation, but I don't think so based on the, the a number of factors, but. Um, let's kind of move in a little bit to the idea of, are they the 10 Kings? And the answer, of course, is no, they are not the 10 Kings. And at least not now, as it currently stands, there's no, in my opinion, 10 Kings on the planet. And no matter who you think is a part of what group or whatever, something major has to change for us to get from where we are to 10, the 10 Kings in, in the book of Daniel. And I believe very strongly, I won't go in through it here. I have been thinking about doing something about this, like the rise of the 10 Kings or something where... Um, Where to show that the Ten Kings must come before the Antichrist and that the Antichrist will be in opposition to the Ten Kings. He saves us from the Ten Kings. Notably, he saves Israel. He liberates Israel from the Ten Kings. He comes on the scene as a savior, three of those Ten Kings. now, And now, once he does that, once he defeats three of them, all of them give their power and authority to him. They exist. I think the Ten Kings are interesting because they're this bridge to the whole end times. And people don't uh, see it as much as I think they should, is that the Ten Kings, so much has been written about them. And I think that they are a way to see how the end times goes because they're there before anything. They're the first thing that you could potentially see on the end times clock, even before anything is the formation of this system. Daniel seven. I think it makes it absolutely clear that it must come before he comes on the scene. It must be in place having been running and all it's, evil glory before he shows up and, and has this conflict with the three of them. I think it's a military conflict. I think it's detailed in Daniel 11, but that's besides the point. In any case, they, are, they do capitulate to him. That's pictured in uh, Revelation 11. And they're also there at the very end of time, or end of time, they're, they're at Armageddon. So at the very least, we have this picture of them, unknowable amounts of time before the seven-year period, all the way to the end, the very last day of the seven-year period. And it becomes a way, I think, of, uh, of showing what the Antichrist is doing. And I can go through that and other things, but I won't go through it now. So one big question is, is this thing? The Klaus Schwab potential takeover, is that going to be the Ten Kings? I think that you could say whatever it would have to be ten somethings. My personal opinion is that it must be around the uh, Mediterranean. It must be uh, uh, specifically around the Mediterranean. And I think it must control Israel. In other words, I think that Israel cannot be a nation in the same way it is. It can't be the master of its domain anymore. I think that's a necessary precursor of the last uh, beast, the last uh, head of the beast and I think that's the thing that connects all the other heads is that they controlled Israel. I think it's like the thing you have to do in order to be a head to be one of these uh, moments in time in which Satan has tried to take over the world. Uh, and this last time uh, is uh, with Israel. And I think if you understand that, if you agree with the premise that the heads, whatever they are, Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, revived Rome, that all, th- all three of those as a necessity, the reason that they were world empires, the reason that they are part of the seven heads in, in addition to... There there have been many empires, and you could have put a lot of them there. But in the context, it's Israel. It's they've controlled Israel. That's what may, makes them ahead. It's an important part of this uh, of Satan's satanic conquest scheme. Satan, who does not know when the end time starts, has no ability to make it start, uh, but he knows that he's got to conquer the, the world, specifically Israel, and these are his attempts at doing so. Anyway, a little off the point. Is the Ten Kings going to... Is the, is the Bilderberg group going to, or in the World Economic Forum, going to merge into the Ten Kings? If it does, and here's where I should say my uh, uh, biases here. If you've been a listener to this podcast, you know I'm really against Christian's doing what they've done through all history and thinking that the end times are in their time simply because they exist and how important am I? So therefore the end times must be in my time. And they'll make anything in the newspaper. They'll twist scripture in any which way they have to in order to make the end times there. All the the history of Christian writings is that story told uh, many times over. And so I am basically doing the same thing here is what I'm trying to say is that I don't have any, not a single shred of evidence that this thing, when we get taken over with this, because I do think that that is inevitable without divine intervention. And I think divine intervention is a certain possibility because I think that uh, judgment of God certainly is going to come. And and the judgment of God on wicked nations always happens, always, always, always. But you have to take into account that in the end times, he specifically allows this takeover to happen for his glory. I mean, it's got to play out. So there is a time in which judgment is coming, but, but at a very specific time. And so therefore wickedness and the wicked can prosper if this is that time uh, for a longer time, probably than it would have otherwise. Anyway, so that is to say, I have no proof that this will develop in that. But if it does, I think, again, my main concern is that Christians will think that in and of itself, the takeover of the world government, and they're going to make a world currency, they're going to make you have to have whatever kind of ID in order to buy or sell, that Christian, the Christian world will think that this evil, decadent, just awful nonsense, untrue in every possible system way system is the Antichrist system. I'm not going to go into it, I talk about it all the time, but it's extremely dangerous thing to do, especially if the Antichrist plans on liberating us from it and saving Israel and coming on the scene as a basic Messiah figure, literally trying to fulfill the, uh, uh, the prophecies of the Messiah that Jesus did not fulfill. What a, what a uh, uh, threat that would be to, to Christians. And that we would clamor to believe it. We would we would look to untruth. We would overlook all the untruth things that him and the false prophet are saying because we want it so bad. Because we want free of this decadent system. We want a savior so bad. It's they've been killing us, you know. Especially if they're killing us in the West, you know, because there's no possible way we could see that it is anything but the Antichrist, and we just kind of forget that that's been the story of Christianity literally since the Book of Acts and Saul breathing out fire and and murders. Um, okay. So I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. I guess that's all I wanted to say is that it could be the 10 Kings. And I guess my main thing that I, epiphany that I had was that it could all develop a lot quicker than I'd previously thought. You know, if I grant that the takeover of the world is the 10 Kings, um, I've often said before, it could be. You know, it could be decades that we're under the ten king system. There's nothing in the Bible that gives us any indication of how long that ten king thing exists before the Antichrist shows up and defeats uh, and controls it. We don't know how long that that takes place, but or it exists beforehand. So it could be decades, millennia. I don't know. It probably, but it could also be ten years, five years, three years. You know, it could be that were that close. So I like to, I, you know, a lot of people listen to this podcast and they're like, there's not a lot of, you know, this guy, I'm not doing what all the other end times guys do, which is basically say, everything is the end times all the time. There's no, nothing that happens in the news that isn't a part of the end times, as long as you can uh, twist scripture enough. But anyway, um, okay. So want to move on to uh, something about the world economic forum, a lot of WEF heavy on this uh, particular episode, but uh i saw a video that somebody was talking about um what does the world economic forum think of homesteading or something like that and they quoted this article from 2016 from forbes in which i guess klaus schwab or somebody from the world economic forum was talking about how the, they're afraid of these people that are going to be resourceful in that, that won't live in the cities. They're going to live outside in these, they're going to be, you know, have their own little economies. They're going to live in abandoned houses and they're going to not join the system and how I think they will use the word discontent. And it got me thinking about this world of discontents and abandoned houses And, you know, I think a lot of us think of, well, we got to get our homestead ready. We got to get it, you know, our solar together. And that's all good. I think that's important, especially for the short term, because I think that if they move into a a new system, they're going to want chaos to burn for a long time. And in order to make everybody clamor for their food and their their new system or whatever. So they're not there's going to be no. Body to help us and no food handouts and nothing for a long time where, but it'll be before they get serious about nobody has private property. And now you don't actually own that land. The state owns it. So, you know, the whole communist thing will take some time to develop. So there, I, there's a period of time uh, in which your homestead idea will, will work. And I think of that time as a time to transition us from our decadent Western lifestyle to starting to prepare for the persecuted church. What does that look like? The abandoned house version of uh, the national park, deep in the national park underground world, because that world, as crazy as it sounds, having no ability to buy or sell, because you won't get the mark of the beast and all this other stuff, um, that exists seemingly right up into the end times. I mean, right up to, the, to, the, to, to, to Armageddon even, because uh, you've got the sheep and goat judgment of people that didn't get the mark of the beast. So where were they hiding, you know? And they weren't necessarily uh, uh, Christians. And I'm not even talking about the so-called tribulation saints. I'm just talking about who is a sheep and who is a goat based on those sort of criteria that populate the millennium. Anyway, um, it got me thinking about something too, which is the, the, the pr- promises about how they will hate you and, you know, mothers are going to give up their children and these kinds of ideas about hatred. And, and just picture this with me, you know, you've got these cities in which people are just continuing with this crazy decadent, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the trans stuff and the, this is, you know, it's going to get so crazy out of, out of whack in terms of sin and the cities. And of course you have to be a part of the system or whatever to, to, and a lot of people are going to go over to that. And I'm not talking about necessarily the end times now. I'm just, well, in a way, I guess it kind of is if it is the 10 Kings, the pre 10 Kings thing, but nevertheless, my main point is that think of what it would look like to those decadent city dwellers who are living in a constant wash of propaganda. That's what the Forbes article made me think of, is that this propaganda against the discontents that live out in the countries and the abandoned houses, they're dirty, they're evil, they're, they're somehow responsible for all the utopia thing's not coming true that we promised because of course the whole thing is going to be based on a utopia coming true but it's not going to actually happen so they're going to blame to some in some way these you know the equivalent of the unvaccinated thing that they're doing now but it's going to be on the the these uh not just Christians but probably primarily Christians because I think it's important to know that it's you know Christians are going to be the ones that can't do it, even if, and, and to some degree, their belief that this, um, you know, ID is the mark of the beast, even though it's not on your right hand or forehead, and it's not doing any of the other stuff. No guy has been in the temple and all the stuff hasn't happened. But a lot of, as I said, most of them are going to believe it's the end times anyway. And to a degree, that's going to save them because they're going to be these, they're going to be outside the system. But my main thing is think of how much vermin it would seem if you brought one of these discontents from their abandoned house in the country and you trotted them into the metropolis and said look at this this is what i was talking about and you know you hadn't had a shower in forever and your hair and your beard and everything and they would just seem like they vermin. you can almost feel the crowd around you hissing at you, filled with the hate of propaganda that they've been given every single day. There's just no no convincing them it's like, no guys, actually you're wrong, because if you think about it, you know, none of that, you know? And uh and that's I think before uh they really get serious about the Christian propaganda. And this is another thing I wanted to talk about, which is that as bad as, you know, Christians being portrayed in movies is all this stuff or whatever and 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 you know, there's certainly an anti-Christian bias in, in the media and everything else, but but they've never turned their full force on picking apart and really crafting and using the weight and of their might of propaganda against Christianity specifically that is reserved. I think that they're very careful not to do that. I think that they, that, that they don't want to be too overt about anti-Christian stuff. And I think for that reason, it'll be a while before they cancel pure biblical teaching. That, that'll take a while to, you know, right now, like my show probably would get canceled easily because I'm talking about all this stuff, you know, anti-vax and everything all the stuff that you're not supposed to talk about. So I would get canceled just because, but if I was just doing a Bible study, they wouldn't cancel me. It would be a scandal, you know, to some degree. But when that day comes for them to pick apart Christianity itself and to use their might against that and to make people hate Christianity itself, that is a a day that's going to be, you know, really, really scary. I've talked about it many times about how just the idea that mothers would give up their children. It's like, kill him, kill him. He's one of those. He's one of those. That takes a that takes a serious amount of uh, propaganda. Another thought I had this uh, week was about the idea of frustration getting worse for people. And I do think, my wife asked me the other day, does it bother you like looking at all this stuff? And for me, it really doesn't. I mean, some of the stuff does. Vaccine stuff really, really gets me mad. And so I can't really do that much anymore. But I, I can with everything else because I'm sort of, Checked out from it, and I've priced in a lot of the ideas that, uh, you know, it, there is no justice anymore. I've already sort of mourned the loss of justice, and I don't expect it to happen. I expect it to get worse, and there to be, you know, a completely bisected kind of thing where, you know, conservatives go to jail for the least bit of infractions and, and get killed in the worst of it, while anybody that believes the right things can do no wrong. You know, that's the world that we're going to live in. I think that if you were in a paradigm where you recently sort of woke up and, uh, you know, you would be just on fire about the level of injustice and you would think that there has to be some earthly thing that we can do. And I think that whole path just leads to, um, a great deal of frustration. It's, it's a tricky situation because you want to tell people that have passion about it to yes, do what you can, you know, let people know about it and whatever, and, you know, go be an election, um, uh, uh, observer or whatever, you know, fight the good fight and be salt and light and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, read the Bible. It's not going to like justice is... It's not a part of how this ends. There's nothing but injustice in the end times. And you do well to sort of not make that a part of your joy, uh, certainly, because then you won't have any joy because there's not going to be any justice, right? So, uh, and I always think about Paul, the apostle, who... You know, you think of him living in the Roman Empire and how they worshiped, uh, you know, emperors and all kinds of weird gods and all the weird culty things that were going on and political stuff he could have talked about, all the killings of Christians or whatever, but this is a guy that almost never, I, I can't think of one time when he was thinking, you know, the Roman, these Romans with all their, you know, stuff that they're going to I, show me one place where he even talked about that. You know, I mean, he was so focused on the church, you know, look, I pray for you guys all the time. I want you guys to really get this. You know, what, he, he, if you ask Paul, like, well, what do you think about Romans? Like I got, I got this, I got stuff going on, man. I, I am advancing the kingdom of God. He was so focused on that. And that's, I think, how the more we are there, the less burdened we are with the injustice of the world because we are, the, the, you know, I, you get where I'm going with that. It's not really what I wanted to say. The main thing I wanted to say here was that I think instead of being frustrated with the injustice in the world and the fact that everybody seems to believe these lies. And you know that's true biblically. The Bible explains it. Their their minds are blinded so that they can't see the truth. They can't see it. They're blind. They are blind. There's no hope for them. But it is frustrating to see, like, why can't they just be explained the truth and get it? And I always think, you know, it's sin at the end. I think every single one of the blind people kind of does know that it's sin, really, that they want. And they see the other side is like you know, potentially having to confront that sin and some point down that road. And so they dig into their thing because of their sin. But the main thing I wanted to say is that instead of being, of dwelling on the fact that everybody seems to believe the lies, be amazed that some people believe the truth, that some people have a radical transformation, a supernatural transformation by God, 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 elects them to be eternal, you know? He says, look, you are with me a million years from now doing some work that I've got to do. You are a part of a kingdom that cannot be, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if they kill you because we have a lot of work to do. You are a part of a kingdom that is universal and eternal. And I guess what I'm saying is that the fact that one of these people, like a Saul of Tarsus, can just be tapped and all of a sudden he sees the truth is completely literally, in his case, uh, uh, can see, you know, he was blinded for three days or whatever. So I, I guess that goes to the point of stop caring about the this world in as much as you can. I do think that all of us are called to some degree to change this world and to be salt and light. And I'm not telling anybody to be pacifist or to stop doing that or any of those things. But I am saying that make increase your caring about the kingdom of God and the possibility that some of these people can get out of this. Some of these people can go from thinking crazy nonsense thoughts to seeing all the truth, all the truth, you know, and that is the cool thing about uh, all this. I don't see any victory in this world. Um, Our hope has to be in the next world. It has to be because there's no hope except for, you know, the victories that we have, because of God in this world. And those victories are in relationship to the, uh, the next world. Very briefly, I wanted to reach out to the people out there that listen to the show, have been listening for a while. Uh, And you probably are like me in that you can't really find a lot of good information about Bible prophecy. And I want to know, like, who is out there that is doing good Bible prophecy about any of this stuff? Do we know some names? Is there a forum somewhere that we could all uh, be promoted if you know of a, a kind of place that we can kind of gather? Because I know that if you're like me... Uh, you listen to podcasts that uh, sort of agree with a lot of the things that you say, or at least have a personality that's kind of a little bit like yours. And so I, I'm assuming a lot of people that listen to this podcast have a similar personality to mine and and certainly maybe believe some of the things I believe. Uh, where can we go? Where can we talk about stuff? Also, I want to say that I want to get into some big project. and I don't know exactly what it is. My first impression is to start doing some maybe some expositional stuff, some verse by verse of some, some books of the Bible that rarely get uh, exposited so that I can learn more about them and hopefully make some discoveries uh, that can lead to some other things. Like I was thinking about just doing, going through the book of Zephaniah and briefly talking about it in relationship to Bible prophecy, because it's basically a Bible prophecy book talking about the day of the Lord in the end times, as far as I can tell. And there's a lot of cool nuggets in there. And I'm sure it's the same with Zechariah and Joel and, and some of these other books that, uh, you know, the minor prophets and stuff. So I might do something like that. I think it would be kind of cool, but I really want to do a big film project with a lot of, you know, throw a lot of money at it and just do something really, really cool. And if anybody just has an epiphany about that and said, hey, why don't you make a a movie about this? Would you let me know? You can email me at chriswhite79 at protonmail.com, chriswhite79 at protonmail.com. Let me know what you think about either the, uh, you know, the expositional stuff or the big film project thing what should I do? What should I do? So, all right, that's it for me. You can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com, and I will see you next time. bye